This is the official uh, closer schmooze for 2021, as many of you might know, I'm a Levi, and there are two jobs that Levim have in the Beis HaMikdash. They have uh, a job of being a Meshoyer, somebody that sings on the Duchan, and then there's a job of being a Meshoyer, somebody that closes the gates at the end of the day. And I always consider myself to be a Meshoyer, Shiras Halevi, but at the end of this month, I find myself being a Meshoyer. The only problem with that is that the Gemara says in Erchen that a Meshoyer Sheshier is Bemisa. That if you're a Meshoyer and you happen to close a gate, that's not a good thing. But maybe if you're closing the gate with a shira, then that's okay. So if this is a closing of a gate of the Zman, so then we'll do it with a shira. This week's parsha is parsha's chukas. And the Torah begins, Zais chukas ha-Taira, asher tziva, Hashem Lemar, Dabra Bnei Yisrael. This is the Chukas HaTayra, and it proceeds to tell us the Halachas of a Paraduma. And if anybody is asked, what is the quintessential Chukah? When you speak about a Chayk, something that we don't understand, a mitzvah that has no rational understanding, so any Barbe Rav, any little child, any Yeshiva Bachar, any Beis Yaakov girl, any person, any Yid that's semi-educated would immediately say that it's Paraduma. Paraduma is the poster child of a chayk. And that's absolutely correct. You can't say that that's incorrect because that's what the Torah is saying. This is Chukas HaTayra, speaks about Paraduma. Rashi says right at the beginning of the parsha that... This is a chayk that the, the Satan and the uh, Umas Ha'elam asks, what time is there in this mitzvah? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it's a gezerah, you can't be maharachara, you can't think about it, just do it. That's the definition of the mitzvah paraduma, it's a chayk, zayis chukas But I have a kasha on that. Because if you look a little bit later in the parsha, it's in Rashi on Pasuk Chaf For some reason, I don't know why this happened, but for some reason, Rashi on the first Pasuk was moved, was shuffled to like the end of the parak, the parak to Pasuk Chaf so We go, we, we like fast forward 22 Pesukim, and that's why I think a lot of people might not know this Rashi, because you start learning, you know, the first Rashi is on the Chumash, on the Parsha, but then by the time you get, like, that deep into the Parsha, you're already, you know, out of it. You know, there's a famous story about somebody that uh, was slowly, like, going off the derech, like a from guy, a balabas, the family, everything, he just was going off the derech, and they couldn't figure out why. And so he went to a rob, he says, I don't know why, but I, I just, I find myself having so many stakas and emunah, and, and and I, I, I just feel I should just give it all up and just end it all and, you know, 
He says, well, how has this happened? He says, I don't know. So they went through the Seder Ayayim, and he says, you know, what do you do, like, Friday night? You go to sleep after, after, you, uh, after the, uh, uh, the meal? He says, no. He says, I learned the Abar Benel. I always had a Seder in Abar Benel. So the Rav says, I think now I understand. He says, because the Abar Benel, if you know the way the Abar Benel is structured, so he starts out with like 30 questions every parasha, 40 questions every parasha, like Shtarka Kashas, one, two, three, bang, 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 and then he has a whole arichas to answer all the questions. So he says, yeah, Taka, you know, I have, I, I start learning the Abar Benel Friday night, I have like 10 questions on the parasha, 20 questions on the parasha, and then I fall asleep. And he says, never get these answers to these questions. So I'm like kicking around all these questions in my mind. Maybe that's half of the reason why I'm having Sveikas and Amuna. So, you know, by the time you get to Pasuk Chafbez and the Rashi, you're already out. But there is a very fascinating Rashi, and I have a very big problem with it myself. Because Rashi quotes from Rav Meisha HaDarshan. Rashi quotes the following. On the words paraduma, which really, again, should really have been at the beginning of the parsha, Moshal ben Shifcha Shetinev Paltin Shalmelech. There's a Moshal of a, of a son of a Shifcha, a little baby that the Shifcha brought into the king's palace. The Shifcha is working for the king, who is take your baby to work day, apparently, and the Shifcha brought her baby into the palace. And guess what happened? Baby do, did what babies do. And it, you know, it was metanef, it, uh, you know, sullied the entire uh, palter and shalmelech. So, you know, they were looking to who should clean up this mess. This baby left a mess, and they didn't know who to clean up. So the, the melech says, Tava imai utekanea I have a good solution. Let the mother, who's a shifta, she's on my payroll, let her be the one to clean it up. Why? No one else should have to clean up the, best, the, the mess that, that somebody else's child makes. Let her clean it up. In the same way that that mushal is true, so let the para aduma come and let the para aduma be mechaper on the ego. Meaning, there was a historic heinous avera that Klai Yisrael did called the Chet It was a terrible avera, not just because it was Avedizara, but it was Avedizara at the worst possible time. Adsha Melech, the Mesiba, he says, Shleim Melech in Shir Hashirim, Nosan Rechai. While the king was still at his palace, the king was on Har Sinai, and then just a few days after Har Sinai, a few days after Mantaira, Klal Yisrael were being mishtachavet to an egel. They were doing Avedizara. They were dancing around the egel. A terrible Avera. It's an Avera that we still live with Adayim. It's the prototypical Avera of Ben Adam Lamakayim that we still always need a Kapara for. So Ramesha Adarshan is quoted by Rashi says, Let the para duma that we bring come and let it be a kapara on the ego. That's not a chayk. That's a very rational reason for bringing a 
paraduma. Paraduma is not a good example of a chayk. Rashi is telling us from Meshadarshan, okay, it's a little bit shuffled in the deck over here, but it's a very clear pshat. I know why we bring a paraduma. We bring a paraduma to be machaper on the ego. The ego is the baby calf. The paraduma is the mama calf. Let the mama come and be and, and clean up the tsaya, clean up all the schmutz and the garbage that the, that the baby made. The ego is the baby. The paraduma is going to come and cleanse through its kapara, through its ability. The paraduma came to be metar, the tmeim. It's going to enable Klai Yisrael to find some sort of kapara for the chet ego. Why is that a chayk? If that's not explicit enough for you, check out this Balaturim. The Balaturim, lately I became a very big fan of the Balaturim. Because the Balaturim is, is like sort of uncharted territory. If you, everyone works on Rashi, but the Balaturim sort of doesn't get that much attention. And the Balaturim has gems. You can mamish find gems. You think when you're a, a young bacher that it's just like some gematrius or whatever. There's a lot of tifkite. There's a lot of lumdus in every Balaturim. If you take a little time and you just think about them, they're unbelievable. So the Balaturim says, listen to this Balaturim. Para Duma, right at the beginning, this is not in Pasukhafe, this is at the beginning of the Parsha. Para Duma, Bigematria, what's the Gematria Para Duma? Ze al Avain Haego. Explicit. The Paraduma is Gematria. I mean, you, you can't, you, you know, you'd have to shoot up a flare gun or like be one of those guys that, you know, skywriters to make it clearer that we have a good reason for doing the Paraduma. Ze al Avain Ego. I mean, how is this a, if you want examples of Chukas, I, I could probably come up with a, a lot better ones than this one. This is probably the worst example of a Chukah because it's clear as day why we're doing it. And yet, it is the chukah. It's considered the chukah. It's the chayk. And what I think the answer is, is that it's true. Now we understand it. Today we understand it. Today we have the Balaturim and we have Rashi. But... At the time when the mitzvah para duma was given, it was given b'mara. Before even Kabbalah Satara, it was one of the few mitzvahs that we were given b'mara. Sham, sam, lai, chayk, umishpat, v'sham, nisawa, the Pasuk says. There in Mara was given chayk. We got a, a sampling, a variety of chukim and mishpatim. And we were tested there. And Rashi says that what is the chayk of the of Mara? Paraduma. We were given a mitzvah of Paraduma. Now imagine if you were in Mara before the Chetaegel. The Chetaegel was after Kabbalah Satayra. This is before Kabbalah Satayra. You were given a mitzvah. Here's the first mitzvah that we're presenting you. You're going to bring a red cow. And the cow has to be fully red. If there's more, if there's like two hairs that are black or more, it's disqualified. If there was ever an oil on this cow, if, a, if an oil, a yoke was put on the cow, not the egg one, the, like a, a regular one, that would be, that would disqualify the paraduma. 
and then you have to burn it, and the people that are burning it, they become Tommy. The people that you sprinkle the ashes on with some water, and you have a hyssop, and you have this and that, that's a, you look at, you look at this mitzvah, like, what in the world am I doing this for? What is this all about? Like, what, what is this? A red cow, without a yoke, burn it, spend a lot of money to buy it, sprinkle it on people that are telling like, what? what what's going on here? Sham some there it was a chaik. Now of course we're all big Tommy Dakhamim. Now we know why Akadishbarhu gave it. Akadishbarhu gave it because there was a Chet Egel. Chet Egel sort of shines a very bright light and a rational understanding of why that happened. Why this mitzvah was important, but when it was given I have no rhyme and no reason for understanding it. I don't know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave it. It's, it's a mystery. It's a chayk. Sham, over there, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave, it, gave us a chayk. Visham niso, and that was the nisayin. The nisayin was, would you do a mitzvah that has absolutely no rhyme and no reason except for the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was mitzvah it to us? Today, yes, yeah, we have gematrius, we have Meshad Darshan, we have Mishalim, Today I understand what a paradigm is all about. But at the time that it was given, I was clueless. Sham, over there in Mara, before the Chetegel, Sam Lechaiko Mishpat, Visham Nisahu. That was a great test for Klai Yisrael. Will you do a mitzvah that you have no understanding? There's no rational reason. You open up a Sefer HaChinuch, it's not even, he says, I could give you a reason, I don't want to give you a reason, because that would sort of defy the whole purpose of the mitzvah. That's a chayk. Today we understand it, but then we didn't understand it. When it was given, it was not understandable. With a passage of time, we might understand it. But when it was given, it was a mystery. And you know, it's not just the mitzvah paraduma that's a chayk in this, in this type as we're describing today, something that's not understandable then but maybe later we can understand it a little bit. But there are so many things in Klal Yisrael's existence and in our own personal existence that happen to us and they're begeder chayk. We have no understanding why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing this. We have no understanding. It's mamash chayk. We go through things in life and we have no reason to explain them. Why is HaKadosh Baruch Hu doing this? It's interesting. This Friday is going to be a very important day on the calendar. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas. Why is that an important day on the calendar? Okay, it's my birthday, but besides for that, there's another reason. Thank you. Um, oh, I thought you were saying happy birthday. Um, oh. So there was a very terrible tragedy that took place in Paris in the year 1242. And this is brought down in the Mishnah from the Magen Avram, the Shibala brings it, that there was 24 wagon loads of Gemaras that were burnt in the city center in Paris. 
And it was a terrible, terrible day. Now, 24 wagon loads of svarim, of gemaris, is a lot even nowadays. But, Baruch Hashem, we live in times that it wouldn't be that huge a loss in terms of, I'm not talking, of course, about the, the fact that Tyre is being burnt, but in terms of the, the scholarship of Klal Yisrael, Baruch Hashem, we have uh, you know, millions of svarim in print all over the world. There's no, you know, you, it's, it wouldn't be a, a, a major tra- tragedy in terms of the loss, the inability for us to learn. So you go to the svarim, so you order some more. But then there was no printing press then. The printing press was invented by Gutenberg in the 1400s. So this was 1242. So what they... How did you have Gemaris? How did you have Svarim, Rishain, and Balitaisis, which were also burned? How did you have them? You had to have money to be able to hire a cipher to write these things over. Just like you have a Sefer Tyra, you have to hire a cipher. You spend a lot of money to have a Sefer Tyra written. I'd have to, if I wanted to learn Gittin, I'd have to hire a cipher to take very expensive parchment and then very expensive ink and write in a very neat handwriting the entire Mesechta and then study from it. It was very rare to have Svarim in those days. That's why when Gutenberg created the, uh, created the printing press, it was a tremendous, uh, it, was a, it was a boon for Tyra. Tyra had never had that type of wide... Uh, ability to learn it because there were, the svarim were so rare and scarce. All of a sudden the printing press comes and the printing press was really primarily employed by Jews in cities throughout Italy, in Sonsino. Sonsino is a city that uh, one of the first svarim were printed, but many of the in Venice and in all the major cities of Yidden they, they bought these printing presses and they started printing Shasin, printing Chumashim, the first printed Rashi, I think was, Rashi may have been the first safer printed on, uh, with, the, with this new invention called the printing press. But before that, it was a tragedy of epic proportions to have 24 wagon loads of handwritten manuscripts that were destroyed in this fire in the heart of Paris. And when this happened, it happened on Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas. And they asked the Chachamim of that time, they asked the Chachamim of that time, uh, a She'elos Chalayim, go and ask in a dream what, why this happened. Was this a Gezeira from HaKadosh Baruch? Did this happen randomly or did HaKadosh Baruch want this to happen? Was this just a random act of anti-Semitism? Or was it something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, this must happen? And they were responded to, Do Gezeras Iraisa. This is a Gezeira Iraisa. Where did they get these three Aramaic words from? That's the Aramaic, that's the Targum of Zeis Kukas Hatayra. The beginning of Parshas Kukas, Da Gezeras Iraisa. This is a decree from the Torah. HaKadosh Baruch declared and decreed that this should take place. It wasn't random. It wasn't something that just happened. It was a Gzeira Dairaisa. And because it was a Gzeira Dairaisa, so Klal Yisrael has a minig. It's brought in this in the Shibayla Leka. The Magad Avram brings it. That people... Yechidim are noyeg to fast every year on Erev Shabbos, Parashas Kukas. 
Erev Shabbos, Parashat Chukas, a day that many didn't fast. Not saying that you should. Better to sit and learn with your whole cup, but there are Yechidim that fast because of the tragedy that happened there, and it was understood that it was a Gzeira Dairaisa. Dog Gzeira Dairaisa. So that's like another example of a paraduma duma thing. At the time, we had no understanding of what it was. We had no understanding why HaKadosh Baruch Hu would want to do this. Why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu burn or allow to be burned 24 wagon loads of shas in a time that it was impossible to replenish them? It was a gzera dairaisa. Just like the paraduma is something that Bishas Maisa, when it was Nitzdava and Mara, we had no clue as to why it was happening. Yes, today we understand there was a, an Egel Azov, Now we get her. Maisha Adarshan sheds light, but at the time in Mara, we had no clue. It was a Gezeira Dairaisa. Kadishfarhu was Nitzavas, and we were expected to keep it without any rational understanding. And that's exactly what happened in 1242 in Paris. Just as an aside, it's just personally interesting. When I was a Bacher, I went with a group of friends. We went to a friend's chasna in Belgium, and we had a little time off uh, before our flight. So we, we went, uh, we, we took a car, and we went to Paris. And we went to uh, a certain part of Paris, a famous, uh, a famous tourist site, and, and some Gayim saw that I was wearing a yarmulke, even though I was advised against it, but I did it anyway, and, uh, and, uh, and they came over and they were like, screaming anti-Semitic remarks, which I can't say in a base medrash. And I gave it back to them. I started screaming back at them and whatever. It was uh, very exciting. And when I came back to Yeshiva, to Chaim Berlin, like it was already, it was already big news that Bamberger had like given it back to anti-Semites in Paris. But somebody told me afterwards that that mukim, that that rishas happened against me, that was the mukim of the Sreifas of Talmud. It was mamish on that, on that area. It's exerted Raisa. You think that anti-Semitism is something that just happens and Bakrai, uh, and you know we have to do something, we have to make laws, and we have to do hate crimes. Hakadosh is guys, we have no idea. We can't explain things. We can't explain it when we're living b'shas Maisa, There are things that we know, and we have to know that these are gezeras. You can't be mahara. Hakadosh wants certain things to happen. And Bishas Maisa it's a chaik. Later, maybe with a passage of time, we get to understand certain things. But when it happens, we just have to be macabre without any rational understanding. The Chasam Sefer used to say on a Pasuk, Bra'isa Sachairai Ufanai Loyeiro, says, You will see my back, but you will never see my face, he says to Meshur Abenu. And the Chasam Sefer says, You know what that means? that you could see my back, meaning, in retrospect, sometimes you're able to see things clearly. Ufonai lo in real time, you can't see me. 
you will not understand when things are actually happening, why they're happening. You'll be in a, in a mist and in a fog, and you will not be able to understand it, other than knowing that, da gizeras iraisa. This is gizeras Later on, you might, if you're Zaycha, be able to understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Kavanus in retrospect. B'Shas Maisa, it's not always understandable. I want to speak about the year, year and a half that we had just experienced. And we're still a little bit too close, perhaps, to it to really have a full hashkafa, have a full understanding and a full flavor. It might take decades, maybe centuries, to really understand what HaKadosh Baruch Kavana was. But I want to sort of just review certain memories that I have personally, and maybe we're able to already glean a few lessons from it. Because it was one of those historic, once in a, in a century, once in a millennia maybe, experiences that there's some gezeira that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to happen. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu was shaking us up to do something, to do tshuva for something, to make us think about what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we need to do better. But I want to just review a little bit what happened and then maybe take out a few... Uh, a few you say this from it, if I may. I personally had a very bad case of corona when it first uh, when it first happened, and when it first broke out, I caught it fairly, you know, like quickly, right after Purim. And I was very, very sick. Baruch Hashem, I didn't have the respiratory issues involved with it. I never was hospitalized, so I can't really claim to be on that darga of sickness. But I think I had everything else plus. And I literally could not move from the couch for three and a half weeks. I would, like, with the last ounce of strength I had, I would throw on my tefill and say, Shema, take them off and go back to the couch. And that was my day. And I lost about... 35 pounds in, in three and a half weeks. Unfortunately, I put them all back on and maybe then some, but I was so happy to be able to eat again. But I had no, I had zero appetite and other people lost their sense of smell, but for some reason I had a much more acute sense of smell than I had ever had before. If somebody brought some food into the house you know, or if my wife was cooking down in the kitchen, I was upstairs in the bedroom, I would smell immediately what it was. And I got nauseous from it. I was, like, mamash couldn't, like, live. I was, like, going crazy from that. And at night, I would have horrible dreams. And it was, it was just a very, very, very difficult experience. My smell was so acute, and I didn't, you know, if I tell this to people you know, outside, nobody would know what I was talking about, and maybe you won't either. But when I would go outside of my house, as soon as I would walk out of the front door, I would smell the smell of death. And if you ask me, how do you know what death smells like? I don't have an answer for you. But I could not walk out of my house. I had to, like, run 
into the car to close the door because I couldn't smell outside. I would go outside and I would smell the smell of death. Ki Allah The death was coming into our homes. People were literally dying. All that you heard, the cars were not allowed to go anywhere. All you heard was Hatzalah ambulances from my house. Day and night. And the Malachamavas had free reign. The Malachamavas was picking off the Shoshanim, the most beautiful roses that Klal Yisrael had. The Novominska Rebbe was a Sar Begadol, Shenafal. He was a person that had everything. He was the Rosh HaGodes Yisrael. He was a Talmud Chacham, Mechaber Svarim. A person that had a Messira from his Rabbeim, from Rupotner, and from, from his father, and from other G'dayli Yisrael, Ramesha. And he was a person that, when I grew up as a Bachar, he was it. He was already on the Mayatzas when I was a young, when I was in high school. He was, he was already a rising star and a, and a tremendous, tremendously respected Gadol. And then 30 years later, he was still a major leader of Pali Yisrael. He was a person that if he would be Nifter today, he would have 100,000 people by his Leviathan. And because of COVID, he just basically, they had a, barely a minion with masks, and they, they, you know, he was buried by Yayim, and that was it. It was like, you know, they had a Zoom thing, whatever, but it, there was no COVID Achran. And then there were so many other G'dayli Yisrael that were being taken from us, one after another, not all technically from COVID, but it was definitely collateral damage of COVID in one, one form or another. Such tzaddikim and G'daylim, Reb David Salavechik, Reb David Feinstein, Reb Yitzchak Shiner, many great thinkers in Klai Yisrael, many great leaders of Klai Yisrael, lay leaders in Klai Yisrael, Balabatim Chashuvim, Rabbanim Chashuvim, they were all being taken so quickly, you couldn't even have a chance to mourn one before there was another three to think about. And in the dark of night, they were snatched away, and they were just not here anymore. The yeshivas were closed. That's a tremendous thing. I mean, you know, if, if Chas V'Shalom we were living in Nazi Germany, it would be a, a gezeira that would be unparalleled to have yeshivas and shuls closed, shuttered. But it was a gezeira for whatever reason. We don't know. But HaKadosh Baruch was geyser that we have to shut our doors. We're not able to have shuls open. We have to daven b'chadri chadarim, and we have to daven maybe with backyard minyanim and socially distanced. And the shuls were scrambling to try to figure out what to do and how to do it, and the yeshivas. We went into quarantine. These were words that we didn't even think of ever, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about being tested and quarantined and masking and social distancing. People lost their parnasa. 
People lost their businesses, their stores. There's no business. Everything dried up. Nobody's going out. Nobody's shopping. Anxiety, sadness, seclusion, loneliness. Dog is deres iraisa. It was plain and simple, a gezeras airaisa. Leslach rishus lahara acharea. We can't be mahara after this. HaKadosh Baruch clearly wanted something, and it's a chayk. We don't understand it. We don't. And when people say that they understand, when people say it's because of this and because of that, it's cheapening it. Because it's such a, a tragedy of epic proportions that you can't minimalize it by giving a, an easy answer for why it happened. You just have to brace yourself and understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is being geyser achayk. But as we're moving a little bit away from it, Baruch Hashem, and we're alone, Eretz Yisrael, America, but there are people in Canada, a bordering neighboring country that still is in the thick of this, you look at what's happening in places like India, there's hundreds of thousands of people dying still at Ayayim. I have a Talmud, a very close Talmud, who just got married a, a month ago in, in Toronto. I would have been Mamish the first person at the Chasna, but he barely was allowed a minion. He had to, you know, there was a point he wasn't sure if he'd have all his grandparents there. He had to choose a grandparent to come because there, there are strict restrictions. Now, we're talking about now, we're very, very lucky here in America that Baruch Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu enabled us to get out of this in a, in a quick and, and relatively easy, if you can call it that, but a, a quicker way than the rest of the world. But I want to look at the positive a little bit that came out from COVID and from this year. Because there were many, many positives that we if we take something away that's good from this Gezeira Dairaisa, then we'll be stronger and better for it. Many people had an opportunity during Corona to learn in a way that they were not able to before. Now, obviously, you can't substitute going to Yeshiva on a base medrash and learning, but I know... A lot of people, and they told me this, they said that their learning was never better than it was during Corona. It's all about to me. Normally I have to go to work every day. I've got to get on a train and you know, work until the wee hours of the night. Here, everything was closed. And for the first time, I was able to like, be a Kyle guy. I was able to sit and learn like a mensch, have a whole day or a few hours straight of sitting and learning. It was a beautiful thing. Not everybody experienced that, obviously. There were many people that did very badly in that department, and when they were home and they had all of the distractions that home affords us, they went the other way. But there were many people that didn't. There were many guys on Zoom that did very well. It's a hard thing to be at home and to be religious about coming every day to shear on Zoom, but there were. In this yeshiva alone... Many, many guys that were consistently on Zoom, as hard as that is, every single day coming and being a part of everything that was being given, whether it was a shear 
whether it was a Shir Kali, whether it was a Shmuz, whether it was a Vad, a Tish, they were there. I found that my davening in certain ways was much better when I was in quarantine. At least when I originally, after I was well enough to daven like a mensch after COVID, I felt like every davening was in the ilo. I didn't have to rush. I didn't have to make kedusha. I didn't have to come on. Le- I was able to mamish sit and have have a have a clarity and a and a conversation with the rabbi Shalom. I felt that there were times that I was so close to the rabbi Shalom during those trying trying months of uh, when when we were really in the thick of things. Families reconnected. I'm sure that there are a lot of stories that are not this way. I'm just, a lot of this is my own personal experience. I'm sure there are parents that are families that exploded during COVID for, you know, they needed to get out because it's not working out. I'm telling you my own personal experience. And I know that this is an experience that others have shared with me as well. That there was something nice about being able to be home and have all your children home with you and safe, and we're able to, uh, you know, Friday night, Davin Kabbalah Shabbos together, and, and schmooze, and, and eat, eat lunch together. When was the last time I had lunch with all of my, my whole family together every day, and at supper, and we were able to learn together, and, and sing together, and schmooze together, get reacquainted with each other. I, 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 it, there was a beautiful element to that, of remembering how important it is to spend time with your family. Sometimes when we're busy and we have jobs and we have communities, every night's a dinner or a parlor meeting or a shir or a, uh, uh, you know, or a wedding or a bar mitzvah or uh, something else, and you're always running and your kids are never home, and you're, you know, leaving them home alone to do their homework on their own, and they don't, here there was nothing, there was no, there was nothing to do. And you actually got a chance to marinate with your family. It's a, it was a beautiful experience. We learned a lot about simchas. What we used to think is, is absolutely necessary when you're making a simcha, that you have to invite your 300 closest friends and that you have to spend $100,000 on flowers and that if you don't have a rolling bar, then, you know, then it's, not a, it's not a simcha. Suddenly we found that people could actually get married, Kedas Meshav Yisrael, with, a, with just barely a minion. And it worked. I know it was difficult for the chasanim and for the kalas and the bar mitzvah boys that had to go through that without all of their friends and family. And I, I'm sure it's tragic on a certain level, but I'm just talking communally. I'm talking about going forward, I'm talking about trying to take lessons from what we learned, that it's really not important to make these gigantic simchas that nobody wants to go to anyway. You think, this, you think that people want to go to yours. You know that you don't want to go to anyone else's. Guess what? They don't want to come to yours either. You think they want to drive to your, your Hasna in Lakewood? They don't. Just like you don't want to go to theirs, they don't want to go to yours either. But this is something that we have to learn about ourselves. We have to learn about, about our patterns and about the mistakes that maybe we've made and we could learn a thing or two from COVID. I'm not saying that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent it to us, but it's to, like to, to take notes 
about the experiences that, we, that we've had from this so that we don't make the same mistakes again. That we spend time with our families, that we don't have to poke anyone's eyes out when we're making our simchas. And that we can learn a little bit better and have a little bit more bedidot to be alone with ourselves, to be alone with our families, to be, uh, to be alone with the Rabbi Shalom. I was once learning Musr with Ravarin Shechter in Chaim Berlin. We, had a, we learned for a few years Musr Seder together. And we were learning the Mesos Yisharim about his Vajidus, about being alone. And, and Ravarin said something that, I guess it's obvious, but like to me it was almost an epiphany. He says, his Vajidus doesn't mean you're alone. People think it's you go out to a forest and you're alone. You're like in communion or whatever the English word for it is. He says it means being together with the Rabbi Nishon. That's what this means. You're not alone. You're talking to the Rabbi Nishon. You're with the Rabbi Nishon. We're always with the Rabbi Nishon. But how often do we have the opportunity to just sit and talk to him? We're always so busy and so distracted. We go into our cars. The first thing we do is turn on a music or a shear or a... You know, or, or, or the news, and Chazor every 22 minutes, the same news over and over again. We don't want to be with ourselves. We don't want to be with the Rabbanisham. We're afraid of ourselves. And quarantine taught us a little bit how to be alone with ourselves, to appreciate spending time with our families and with the Rabbanisham himself. To daven without any distractions, without any need to run anywhere, to go anywhere. I'm here with you. I'm here. We're here. We're together. At last. But most importantly, I want to take lessons for our yeshiva. This year we were zeichet to siyata d'shmaya maruba. That wasn't a pun. We were zeichet to a great siyata d'shmaya. That we were able to, in Elo, come together with a lot of heavy restrictions, with masking that we were all uncomfortable with. But HaKadosh Baruch allowed us, against all odds, nobody thought that it would be possible to actually stay in a consecutive zman through Elo, Sukkot, beyond winter zman. Who thought that we wouldn't be shut down. So many naysayers said, you know, you could open, but you're going to close before you know. There's going to be an outbreak, and you're going to, everyone's going to have to go home. Don't even bother trying. And a lot of yeshivas didn't. Last year just continued on Zoom, and that would have been the easy thing for us to do as well. But we decided that we should reopen, and come what may, let's, let's throw our lot with the Rabbanishim, with the Tyra. And we opened our doors, and with great siyat d'shmaya, we were able to learn with a lot of the necessary plexiglass and with, uh, with social distancing and with chavrusas learning at certain uh, distance and uh, all the things that we had to do, the clusters, but we didn't close. Our numbers were surprisingly small of positive cases that we tested for, and whoever was tested, we had like a few, a handful of cases, and they, they quarantined, and everything was fine. We never had the numbers that we have to shut down, and that's a tremendous thing. 
the hasmada of the guys that were actually in yeshiva was tremendous. The ruach of the guys that were in, in yeshiva were tremendous. We had a wonderful year. We had a wonderful year. Last year was very hard when we were away from yeshiva, but the fact that we were able to come back and those that were zaycha to be here were here, we have to have kida vishlachavaya to the Rabbi Nishalim for enabling us to have such a year successfully began and now successfully concluded. During COVID, we realized how much we love the yeshiva, how much we miss the yeshiva, how much we miss our abeim and our talmidim and our friends. And that's something that stays with us. That's a great legacy that COVID enabled us. Sometimes you have to separate and be pulled away from something to really miss that thing and not take it for granted. Just recently, there was a Talmud that came back to Yeshiva for a day. He was a Barbe Yaima, Dechad Yaima. Barbe Rab Dechad Yaima. The reason why he wasn't in Yeshiva this entire 15 months is because he's, he's compromised medically. That's the only reason that he wasn't here. Otherwise, he, and he was here every Zoom. I don't think there was a Vad a shmuz, a, a shir that he missed the entire time. He's probably maybe watching it right now. And he came back for a day. He was in yeshiva a few weeks ago for a day. And I came over to him, I gave him a big hug and told him how much he was missed. And he told me how much he misses yeshiva. Adayim, he's like, he has such gaguim to be back. And the moments, the precious moments that he was spending here in yeshiva, he said to me, he says, I can't believe that I'm here and I just wish that it could last forever. I wish that I didn't have to go home right away. And it made me think how precious a feeling that is to realize that you want to be in yeshiva so badly and, and, and you can't. And we can. We who are here, we're zeicha to have that. And that feeling that we had last year to come back to yeshiva, that has to remain with us forever. Don't lose that because now we're over COVID. That's not something that we should ever forget. Those gaguim, those feelings of yearning and pining to be back in the base medrash, to wish that you were here, to cherish every second and every word of Tyra that you're able to have, that's something that we never, we must never forget and never lose. Here's a story that I, I read about a yeshiva in Lakewood. A smaller, Lakewood has a lot of yeshivas. This is like a smaller type of yeshiva in Lakewood. And it was right at the start of COVID. And the Bachram found out that Tanhala decided that the yeshiva has to send the Bachram home. 
And the Talmidim were so attached to the yeshiva that it, was, uh, it made a very, very big tumult in the yeshiva. And the guys didn't want to leave and they wanted to stay. At the time, they didn't understand the real threat. No one did of what COVID really was. But they were told they have to, you know, by the Board of Health, you have to shut down, you have to send the boys home. And the Rosh Hashiva gave a final shmuz before the Bachram uh, left. And he basically said, after saying an entire Shtigl Torah, he said that this is the Eitz Chaim. The Torah is the Eitz Chaim, and you have to hold on to it forever and ever. Never let go of the Torah. You're going to be home, and there's going to be distractions at home, and you're going to want to uh, maybe do other things, but never leave the Torah be. Never lose sight of who you are, that your B'nai Torah never let go of the Atzei Chaim of the Torah. And then he went home, the Rosh Shiva, and they had a mincha. They had a last mincha in Yeshiva that the Bachram held together, and they were crying, and they said, Avinu Malkeinu together, And after this mincha, one of the bachrim in the yeshiva called the Rosh Hashiva up. And he said, I want to ask the Rosh Hashiva something, a big favor. He says, during mincha, my mind was racing and wondering how I'm going to go home now, what I'm going to do. And I remembered the first shmuz that the Rosh Hashiva gave at the beginning of this man. This Rosh Hashiva had a, a daughter who was very sick and she was uh, a young girl. She was in the hospital with Yana Machla. And so Rosh Hashiva was telling in this Shmuz at the beginning of this man how he was in this hospital in the oncology unit and he heard that there was another family that just, another from family that was just admitted into the hospital with their young child. And so he wanted to go and give Shalom Aleichem to the family and you know, speak to the, the child that was sick and give chizok and uh, see if there was anything that they needed or maybe tell them a little bit about you know, the, the, the Shabbos situation in the hospital and the kashras and the minyanim, the chulay. He comes into the room that this family was set up in and he couldn't believe his eyes. There was svarim all over the room. And by the bed, there was a shtender. It looked like a basement, she said. This didn't look like a regular sterile hospital room. This was a basement, and the mother was there with the child that was sick. And he said hello to the mother, and he said, you know, after they got acquainted a little bit, he says, what... What's going on over here with the shtender, with the sarim? So the mother said to him that my husband is going to be spending most of the time here in the hospital with my child. My, my husband is a very chash of a younger man, learns in Kylo, and now he's going to have to leave Kylo to spend time. I'm going to be at home taking care of the other children and making suppers and getting the kids on the bus. So between the two of us, it was decided that he's going to be the one to spend the lion's share of time with the child. 
So I asked my husband, what can I do to make things more comfortable for you in the hospital? You're going to be spending weeks, maybe months there. He says, there's only one thing that I need there. He says, I need a shtender. Because if I have my shtender there, have my svarim, then I'll feel good. I'll feel at home. And I'll take the kailo, I'll take the yeshiva into the hospital with me. And I won't feel that my life has been shaken in any which way. And so that's what I did. She said, I, I set up a full base marriage for him in this room. And the Rashiva said to the Bachram that whatever happens in our lives, we must remember the words of this Amistik of Bentairo. Just bring me my shtender. If we have our shtender, our Gemara, our Taira with us, we are never alone. That is always the only true comfort of a Bentairo. And so this Talmud asks the Rashiva, he says, I remember that Shmuz so vividly. And now we're being sent home. I just want to ask a favor from the Rashiva if I could take one of Yeshiva Shtenders home with me. I want to be able to bring the Yeshiva home with me. That's the legacy for a Bentaira of what we just experienced. There are many legacies, and, and, and we're going to learn so much about ourselves and our habits and things that we could change. The more that time passes, hopefully we'll, we'll remember things clearly and we'll commit ourselves to, to changing the bad stuff in our life and to doing more good stuff. But for Ben Taira, specifically, one thing that we must learn is that when we go home, we take the yeshiva with us. We take the yeshiva, the hadracha, the lamdas, the musr, the love, the chavrusa shaft, everything that we gain in yeshiva, when we have to leave, we take it with us. For those that are here, perhaps for the last time today, and there are talmidim that we have in yeshiva that this is their last official shmuz, and they came over to me today, or and said, this is going to be the last shmuz. Guys that have been here for 10 years, for 9 years, for more, for less, they're not leaving yeshiva. They might geographically be moving to a different place, but they take the yeshiva with them wherever they go. Whatever they have learned, whatever they have lived here, whatever they have been changed by, stays with them forever. They're different people because they were here, and we're different because we were zeicha to have them here. And I'm not going to single out the guys that are leaving here, but they know who they are, and they know how much they have done for yeshiva. And we love them, and we want them to stay, and they have to go different places, but they want to be here. This is their home, and they will come back. But for those of us that are merely going home for the summer, take your shtender with you. Take your gemara with you. 
Don't leave yeshiva. We're coming with you. Stay in touch. Learn. Hasmada. Hispaididas. Tefillah. Tavana. These are things that we can take with us. This is a great takeaway from the year. It's true, we live through a Gezeira Iraisa. This is a Gezeira Iraisa that we live through. And at the time, it's Mamish Veraisa as we're not able to fully comprehend it. But there's one takeaway now that we must have with us. And that is, remember how it was when we weren't in yeshiva. And remember the commitment that we made to try as hard as we could to remain B'nai Taira in the most trying of circumstances. And the fact that you're still here, and not all of you are here anymore. There have been people, Rabbim Chalol Pilo, there were guys that never came back because they were sucked in to this Gezeira. And they were not able to come back. They didn't have the resolve to return to yeshiva after such ayahs. But you, you that did remain, you that are still here, and that held on to the Atzei Chaim of Taira, remember how much you went through. Remember the Messiris Nefesh. And now that you're going home again, albeit for several weeks, but maintain that Kedusha, maintain that resolve to stay strong to the ideals that we have given you here, to take the yeshiva home with you, to take the shmuzan home with you, to take the shirim home with you, take the shtender home with you. We live through a, a time of chayk, but sometimes we can find a rationale for chukim as well. And the more we move away from this, the more we have to learn, we have to process what we've gone through, and then we have to change. I saw just a snippet, somebody sent me a snippet of one of the Lakewood Rosh Hashivas. I didn't get the full gamut of the shmuz, but it was, it was literally a 30-second clip. And he said, what's the takeaway from COVID? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent it, and then he created a vaccine, and, uh, and now everything is done? That was the whole takeaway from COVID. He says, are, are we that foolish to believe that that's the entire story? We were sick, and we were scared, and now we have a vaccine, Baruch and we're out of the woods, everything's back to normal. He says, what does that mean, back to normal? We don't want to go back to normal. The Rabbi Nishon doesn't want us to go back to normal. If that was normal, I don't want to be normal. I want to be changed. I want to be a better person. I want to be closer with my family. I want to be yearning to get closer to the Rabbi Nishram. I want to be able to have a yeshiva together, ba'achdus. There is no way to quantify the amount of love that we in yeshiva have for the Talmidim. And I speak, I think, on behalf, I know, on behalf of all the Rabbeim, that the time that there was separation during COVID was a very difficult time. And even this year, the Talmidim that are Zooming 
and they're trying their best, and they have their own cheshpanis, every one of them, it's very difficult for the rabbeim to see their talmidim not in the, in the Dalit Kaisley based Madrash. These are things that we may not have realized without COVID. We would just take it one year at a time and just go through the motions and, you know, end this man and start a new man. But I think it was such a historic experience that we went through that we have to take something from it. Something. And these are the lessons that I think us as B'nai Taira should be thinking about. And when we go home, remember. Remember how much we love you. Remember how excited we are for you to come back again. And remember who you are. Remember that you are B'nai Taira, B'nai Aliyah, and don't concede an inch over the summer. Stay strong, keep in touch with your Abayim, make starim, go to davening every day, feel a bit seaboard three times a day, learn musar. There's so much that we can learn and that we could put into practice. And let's see us how we could do that this summer. Mitz Hashem should have a wonderful summer. You should enjoy the summer. It was a, it was a a hard-earned summer, you worked very hard this year, and you deserve a break, and you should enjoy the summer and spend time with your family, with your friends, do things that are, that are, that are good and exciting and clean, but stick to the starim that you commit to. Davin, do it now. Make these commitments now before you go home so that you're strong, and you, Amir Hashem, carry that through the summer, and we look forward to embracing you upon your return. And out.